Well, thank you for your welcome to me. It's a joy to be with you once again, and indeed a great privilege to bring God's word to you this evening. And I'd like to, to leave with you some words from Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, verses 32 to 34. Hebrews 11, verse 32. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. <clears throat> And it's just one character, really, that I want to home in on this evening from those verses, and it is uh, the man Samson, the man Samson. Uh, time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson. Samson is a subject for this evening. Uh, he will be somewhat familiar to... Christians and to churchgoers and others, particularly with regard to uh, his hair being linked to his strength, his amazing strength, and also particularly with regard to his sad affair with Delilah. But Samson was one of the judges of Israel, a time when Israel was without a king and was, and was ruled by judges, and Samson was one of those judges, and uh, his history is recorded for us in Judges 13 to 16, those four chapters. And the period of the judges in the history of Israel was a very sad period, it was a sad cycle of apostasy, that is, turning away from God, a time when God's people regularly turned away from him, and then they knew his judgment, and then they repented, and then they knew his blessing. So it was a cycle, a period in which it was a cycle of apostasy, judgment, repentance, and blessing. In... Um, Judges chapter 13, and uh, the first verse, we uh, read again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. And at that time, the Lord raised up Samson, to keep the Philistines at bay during the second 20 years of those 40 years referred to in Judges 13 and the first verse. Uh, 
He was the son of godly parents, Manoah and his wife from Zorah of the Danite clan or tribe, and he was something of a miracle child. Verse 2 of Judges 13, we read, Now there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. So wonderfully, the Lord intervenes, and Sam, Samson is conceived and duly born. We don't know a lot about his ministry, his 20-year ministry, though we have four chapters uh, telling us something of his history, but they are all to do with his early life and then the very end of his comparatively short life. But we know, we're told at the end of chapter 15 that he, he judged Israel for 20 years. So it was a 20-year ministry. But there's no details of approximately 18 years of those 20 years. But we do know it was an effective ministry. The Philistines were kept at bay, that is the arch enemy of the Israelites, the Philistines, they were kept at bay, and uh, uh, Samson consequently uh, gets a mention in Hebrews 11 uh, as a man of faith, and a man who through faith did mighty exploits uh, to bring glory and praise to God. Well, now, the question I want to ask is this, what particularly would the readers of Hebrews 11 bring to mind to help them in their life of faith? And consequently, what should we bring to mind as Christians to help us in this life of faith to which God has called us? And we are told in Hebrews 11 uh, that, that uh, the, the, the history of the various uh, characters who are mentioned uh, are indeed for, for our encouragement to stimulate faith. Uh, indeed, Hebrews 11 has been described as the whole of faith. It, it, it shows to us what is possible by God's grace through faith, what we can accomplish uh, in the Christian life through faith. Well, what particularly uh, should we concentrate on in the life of Samson to help us and to encourage us? Well, I suppose a number of answers could be given, but I want to just uh, answer uh, that uh, there are three things, I believe, in particular that we can concentrate on to help us in the life of faith as we consider something of the life and ministry of Samson. Firstly, uh, we see in his life the power of God's Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. And then secondly, we see very clearly the power of indwelling sin, the power of indwelling sin. And thirdly, the power of God's grace, the power of God's grace. Firstly, and the power of God's Spirit. Samson's 
extraordinary physical strength and ability was given supernaturally by the power of the Holy Spirit. However strong and agile he may have been on a natural level, uh, natural resources cannot possibly account for the extraordinary achievements that we read about in the life of Samson. Uh, For example, in um, Judges chapter 14 and verses 5 and 6, we read, So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyard of Timnah. Now, to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand, but he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. And then in verse 19 of that same uh, Judges chapter um, 14, uh, we read that in verse 9, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ascalon and killed 30 of their men, took their apparel and gave the changes of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. So his anger was aroused and he went back to his father's house. And then in chapter 15, and again in verses 14 and 15, uh, we read, when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire, and his bonds broke loose from his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and reached out his hand and took it and killed a thousand men with it. And then, yet again, in chapter 16 and uh, in verse, uh, in verse uh, 3 of chapter 16, we read, And Samson lay low till midnight. Then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gateposts, pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. And then the final act of his life, again in chapter 16 and verses 29 and 30. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, and on his one on his right and the other on his left. Then Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. Well, what do we have here in these remarkable uh, events? Uh, Well, we have the Holy Spirit enabling God's servant to do that which he otherwise could not do. Put that into New Testament terms. Here is great encouragement for these Hebrew Christians facing extreme difficulties. And here is great encouragement for you and me. Do you feel that you are at present faced with an impossible situation? An overwhelming situation? A seemingly impossible task? 
Maybe you've, given an you've been given an assignment and you're saying, well, I just can't do it. It's, it's too much. It's impossible. It seems clear that God has allowed the situation in which you find yourself. It seems clear that he has brought the task and given the assignment, but you don't have the strength. You don't have the ability. You feel your great weakness and your hopelessness and you're beginning to despair. Well, take heart, because the Lord is able by his Spirit. You may not be able, but he is able. And you must take heart from that fact and from that reality. Well, you may ask, does this mean then that we can expect to have the same degree of strength and ability that Samson had? No, it does not mean that. Samson was an extreme example of supernatural power and ability, raised up for an exceptional task, like the New Testament apostles. They were likewise given an exceptional degree of power and ability by the Holy Spirit, so that mighty signs and wonders were done in and through them to authenticate their unique calling and ministry as foundational officers of the New Testament church. We're told on one occasion that Peter's shadow fell upon the sick and the sick were healed. We're told on another occasion that cloths or handkerchiefs were brought from Paul's body and laid upon the sick and they were healed. Amazing power, supernatural, extraordinary power. And, you, of course, you have the same exceptional degree of power and even to a greater degree and more so in the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Such manifestations were given to attest his messiahship and his deity. No, every Christian cannot have the same degree of supernatural strength and ability as Samson had, as the apostles had, as, as the Lord had. And we must, we must realize that. Otherwise, we'll get into great difficulties. Christians have got into great difficulties thinking that uh, they can, as ordinary Christians, have the same power and authority as those who were given such power and authority in exceptional circumstances. You know. But there is a great principle here that we can take to ourselves, which is always true. And this is the great principle for our application, that strength and ability over and above our normal resources is available for the Christian. Strength and ability over and above your natural resources are available. Strength and ability are available for you as a child of God, available supernaturally by the power of the Holy Spirit. As we look to the Lord in our extremity at times, as we stand upon his word, as we cry to him, in short, as we exercise faith, that's what exercising faith is all about, so we may know his strength made perfect in weakness. As Charles Wesley put it, faith, mighty faith, the promise sees, 
and looks to that alone, laughs at impossibilities and says, it shall be done. Now that's possible for every Christian. However weak, however feeble you are, however uh, lacking in faith you feel, that is wonderfully and gloriously possible. So we may, we, we may know an infusion of strength and ability and wisdom and power and peace to enable us to persevere, to endure, and to overcome. Now there is, of course, an element of mystery here. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit. You cannot be a Christian unless you have the Holy Spirit within you. That's exactly what the Scriptures teach, Romans 8, verse 9. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we grow spiritually. That's what makes us different from an adherent to one of the cults. The adherents of the cults, they, they don't grow spiritually. There's no real spiritual life. They, they may grow intellectually and in knowledge and so on, but there's no real growth. For the Christian, there is spiritual growth. By the power of the Spirit, we grow spiritually. We resist sin. We overcome. We resist the devil. God is working in us. There's a gradual, ongoing work. And it's what we may describe as a mediate work. That is, it is through means, through the means that he has given as we read the word, as we seek his face in prayer as we hear the word preached and taught, as we fellowship with God's people. So he is pleased to work as we take up these means. But over and above this ongoing, gradual work, there is an additional ministry of the Holy Spirit, times when the Spirit comes upon the believer and infuses strength suddenly, and gives ability directly, gives wisdom or gives a word. That's exactly what the Lord Jesus promised, for example, in um, Mark chapter 13 and verse um, 9 and following. But watch out for yourselves, he says, for they will deliver you up to councils and you will be beaten in the synagogues and you will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake for a testimony and the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, do you notice that? Whatever is given you in that hour, speak that, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Wonderful. That's the blessed reality of the work of the Holy Spirit over and above the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit within us. And then uh, in Acts chapter 4, for example, and uh, verse 7, here's another example. And when they had set them in the midst, that is, uh, the apostles, they asked, by what power by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. You notice that? Here was a dire situation in which he desperately needed God's help. And here it is, suddenly, 
an infusion, an afflatus of the Holy Spirit. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and the people and elders of Israel, <clears throat> if we this day be judged for a good deed done to this helpless man by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. Notice the boldness and the authority. That's the Holy Spirit, you see, suddenly given. And then when uh, they report to their company and they, um, and they pray, uh, and there in um, verse, uh, verse 31 of, of, of Acts 4, there is that, that wonderful statement. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. And then some of you may well remember the Apostle Paul in writing to the Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, and, and what he is saying there is, I can do all things through Christ who infuses power into me, like a spiritual blood transfusion. Have you seen somebody in need of a blood transfusion? You visit them maybe in hospital and they're weak and they're feeble and they're frail and they can hardly lift up their head. Uh, but then they have a blood transfusion. And you see them hours later or the next day. And there's this wonderful transformation. There is now a strength and ability which was not there before. Well, uh, that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about in a spiritual sense. Uh, the Lord by the Holy Spirit infusing strength into us. He can do that. Now we must ever keep this in mind for our encouragement. You may feel you can't go on. You may feel you just can't face what you need to face, but you must. And you must say to yourself, he is able. I am not, but he is able. Embrace the difficulty. Embrace the impossibilities. Faith, mighty faith, the promises and looks to that alone laughs at impossibilities and says it shall be done. The Spirit enables. And the Spirit enables Samson. And that's a great encouragement to us. And then secondly, the second lesson is that from the life of Samson we see, uh, and this is a sad, this is a sad uh, point that I'm making, uh, we see the power of indwelling sin, but we can... We dare not forget that, that we are dealing every day with indwelling sin. Uh, many years ago, uh, we had a godly uh, chaplain in college, and uh, he used to say this to us, when you wake up in the morning and before you get out of bed, just say to yourself, I am not an angel. I am not an angel. I have to deal within dwelling sin. Well, that's good advice. We forget it at our peril. And Samson is a warning to every Christian. There are times when you read his story and you, you want to shake him. Have you felt like that, reading Samson's story? 
Samson, you want to say, don't be so foolish. How can you allow yourself to be so conquered by your passions and get yourself into such a mess? For that's what happened. He was conquered more by his own passions than by the might of the Philistine army. It would seem that Samson never really learned to keep a careful watch upon himself concerning his sexual appetite. Now maybe uh, in such a man this appetite was particularly strong, extremely strong, so it seems. Uh, we, all, we all differ in that respect. Uh, but even so, whatever the degree of our sexual appetite or indeed any other natural appetite, whatever the degree, we are responsible for what we do with it. We may not be able to control the degree of the intensity, but nevertheless we are responsible. We're always responsible. And the Christian must ever bear that in mind because we are to live to God's glory day by day. It seems that Samson was never vigilant enough in this area of his life. We turn back to Judges chapter 14 and the opening verses. Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I've seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. We might well ask, what was he doing in Timnah? Well, it was a Philistine town, it was near Zora, near Samson's home, and uh, quite likely he was looking for an opportunity to overcome the Philistines, for we are told, chapter 13, the Spirit of God came upon him at times when he looked for an opportunity to, to attack the Philistines. Well, he may well be a, have been looking for an opportunity there in Timnah uh, for attacking the Philistines. Why am I saying that? Well... I'm just underlining the fact that it could well have been in the path of duty, in the path of the Lord's service, that he was overwhelmed with this attraction and he pursued the attraction which was contrary to God's will because it was contrary to God's law. But how often is that the case? You are in the path of duty. Maybe in the path very much of the Lord's service. But there comes across that path someone to whom you are greatly attracted. But it's wrong because the one to whom you are attracted is already married. Or the one to whom you are attracted is spoken for or the one to whom you're attractive is of the same sex as yourself 
Yet it's in the path of duty. Even in the path of the Lord's service, it does happen. Well, no. The attraction must be dealt with. The attraction must be denied. Samson could not help the attraction, but he could have helped pursuing it. Martin Luther put it like this. We can't stop the birds flying over our head, but we can stop them nesting in our hair. That is so true. And we must stop them nesting in our hair. The law of God forbade marriage to the Philistines. It was a path of disobedience. It was a path of sin. It was not a question, is this the right one for me? So for the Christian, there may be great attraction. But if the person is not a Christian or already married or spoken for or of the, of the same sex, well, the, the attraction must be, must be resisted. Matthew Henry has an interesting comment. He puts it like this. He that in the choice of a wife is guided only by his eye and governed by his fancy must afterward thank only himself if he find a Philistine in his arms. Well, there we are. It's a very succinct way of putting it. Being conquered by his passions... Samson became insensitive to spiritual instruction. His godly parents tried to advise him, but he would have none of it. The the result was great pain and suffering for Samson, and ironically, the marriage was never consummated. What an irony was that? The path of disobedience, you see, is always ultimately a painful path. Not... Immediately, sometimes immediately, it's a very easy path and a very pleasant path. But ultimately, it's a painful path. Now, let me just underline that as a Christian, you have the power, you have the authority to deal with indwelling sin. You have died with Christ. You have died to sin. That's what dying with Christ means. It means also that you have died to sin. Which means that sin no longer has dominion over you. That sin no longer has authority over you. That sin no longer dominates. You are no longer under the dominion of sin and of Satan. You've been set free from that dominion. And therefore, it is possible to resist temptation, not in your own strength, but in in his strength, in his power, by the Holy Spirit. You can resist because of who you are. And you must be who you are, a man or woman in Christ no longer under the dominion of sin. You've died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And uh, you see how it's put in, in, in um, wonderfully in, in Romans uh, chapter 6. Uh, here it is in Romans 6 and verses 11 and following. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, 
but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. But without such vigilance, there will be a falling back into bondage. Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law but under grace. But unless you are vigilant, do you not know, says the apostle, to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin to death or obedience to righteousness. Be vigilant. Uh, Peter Lewis, in his uh, little book on Hebrews 11, uh, says this concerning this whole matter. He says, We sometimes think we can, tr- can control sins that are allowed to stay in our lives, but we are mistaken and may be sorely disappointed. There are no tame sins in life. Sin has a life and energy of its own. I remember seeing on the television a clip which showed the importance of vigilance and maximum safety measures for tourists visiting safari parks. A car had been left parked with the window on the driver's seat slightly open. The driver's seat was occupied by a dummy. A nearby camera filled the outcome, filmed the outcome. At first, the approaching lioness, looking so sleek and calm and rather beautiful, just walked around the vehicle, sniffing curiously until she realized that the window was open and the figure within was in reach. Quick as a flash, and without warning, her strong paw was in at the window, and the figure was pulled out to be immediately torn apart by the lioness, a slow unthreatening creature had become a snarling fury in seconds. Sin can be like that. Lust, pride, greed, and jealousy can spring out of control after years of controlled indulgence taking us over the edge into disaster. Be on guard. Be vigilant. Be vigilant. It was so for Samson. He was quickly taken over the edge because he failed to be watchful. He failed. And then, finally here, we see the power of God's grace. This, this is encouragement. You may feel that you have failed. Samson failed failed miserably. You may feel that you have failed. You may feel that you are uh, hopeless and you are despairing. Well, there is sure clearly the power of God's grace. Samson's sin was wonderfully overruled and uh, he was given a wonderful uh, opportunity at the end of his life to be used again so mightily and uh, so wonderful, wonderfully. This is the rich grace of God. Uh, We see that uh, at the end of his life he was in fetters. He was in the prison house. 
He was still God's child. Had he forgotten that? He had time to think. He had time to reflect. Sometimes God gives us that. And wonderfully, he does reflect, it seems. And we have this aching cry from his heart in um, chapter 16 of Judges and verse 28. We read it earlier. Then Samson called to the Lord, saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once. Can you hear the agony of it? O Lord, just this once. He's come back. He's come to his senses. He's come back to the Lord. Here he is, bowed now in repentance. Lord, could it be just this once? Just once more, just this once. O God. Remember me, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And he knew that that would be for the glory and praise of God, for he would be destroying God's enemies, as he was called to do. And God granted him uh, his request. For Samson, the final blessing meant the crushing of his body as he hobbled home to heaven. And that final act of Samson symbolizes to us the final lesson for this evening. For lasting blessing, there must be a crushing of self. God's grace exalts Christ and subdues self. Well, let us pray. Mm-hmm. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we praise and worship you for your great kindness and goodness to us. We thank you for the lives of your servants of old and all that we can learn from them. Grant, O oh God, that our determination shall truly be to know more of the power of your Spirit in our lives, to know more of the conquering of indwelling sin, to know more of the riches of your grace, that we may live to your glory and praise through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.